This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with a Robin Mob, a Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. And I'm Mob. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or, or midnight, uh, depending on wherever you may happen to be in the world. And this is a very exciting uh, day, Michael, because this is, I believe, our 20th episode. Wow. So yes. uh, we're it's uh, Tuesday, March the third. So we're a, f- a good um, what five months into our journey. Yes, well, yes. Wow. October, October, November, December, January, February, March. Yes, although we, we did start rather late in October, so hasn't hasn't time just flown? Absolutely. So uh, the Shenandoah, the the ship that is the uh, the star of our story, we decided last week. Yes, is uh, has just left the city of Melbourne and taken on board some uh, surprise, and I put those surprise in in, in quotation marks. <laughs> hold hold the air quotes up to the microphone the quotes, and, yes. and, and wiggle your fingers, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some surprise stowaways, um, and now they're heading uh, they're heading north into uh, into the Pacific. Now, now, um, you you have the um, uh, Mr. Mr. Whittle's journal where he puts in all of the latitude and longitudes. Um, did they head up the coast, or did they they head out to sea? Do you, do you know? Uh, they pretty much headed up the coast. Yes, um, that, that's that's pretty much the way. Um, what the way uh, ships do it to this day, and, and and also the way whales do it to this day. I've I've, I've on a couple of occasions seen uh, whales uh, breaching off the coast um, up up near Sydney. And in oh, fact, uh, yes, I, I was with my children, and um, we were at, actually at the, um, the the Avalon Beaches, which are a, a rather tony uh, suburb uh, north of north of Sydney. And we were walking with my my children along a cliff top, and a whale breached. It was reasonably far out to uh, to sea, but it certainly breached. It jumped out of the water, looking absolutely magnificent, and me and my kids just went wow. And we walked five minutes along the cliff. And it did it again, and I said to my kids, look, look. And they said, oh, we've, we, we, we've seen a whale, Dad. <laughs> so, so seeing a whale was, was so five minutes ago. Oh, wow. Well, of course, the Shenandoah would have been very keen to have seen a whale, because that would possibly meant that uh, whalers were nearby. But uh, Mr. Whittle describes this part of his journey, that the chapter in the book we're using, The Shenandoah, A Memorable Cruise, is actually titled "Oh, the Terrible Monotony." So um, that gives you a little bit of a hint that for for the next little while, there's not going to be too many ship catches. But there is interesting things that are happening on board. But before we get to that, Rob, there is one correction and attribution that I think we need to make. Oh, oh yes. Now, now this, this this came apart uh, came about as a result of our of our inter- the first part of our interview 
last week with, with Bayard Shepherd because off air, I, I don't think he felt like chiding us on air, and, and that's very good of him. He's a gentleman. He, he is a gentleman. Uh, but apparently we made a bit of an error uh, with regard to what happened with the Shenandoah when it was in Williamstown. Yes, we said that it was in a dry dock when in actual fact it was on a slip. So what's the difference, Rob? Well, um, again, uh, remembering uh, what Bayard uh, told us last week. Oh, and we'll, we'll be having the second part of Bayard's interview uh, this week. Um, okay, a dry dock is uh, a dock that is full of water. The ship is able to be floated in, and then they pump the water out. Now, what that means is that the ship is then left basically lying on dry land. Now, that's fine as far as it goes, except like the Shenandoah, if, you're, if what is wrong with your ship is on the bottom of the ship, because in a dry dock, the bottom of the ship is not fully, is actually lying on the ground, so you can't get underneath it. But with a slip, what they do is they actually haul the ship out of the water um, onto, onto a slipway, onto a, a scaffolding, uh, mm-hmm. I, presume, I presume by this time made of iron, uh, and it's on a slope, which means that you can actually, um, and Bayard pointed out that you can see in the only known photo of the Shenandoah, you can see that the ship is on a slope. Uh, but because of that, you can, workmen can in fact actually get underneath the ship and work on the very, the very bottom uh, around the, the keel, I believe, which, of the ship. And, and what they had to do with the Shenandoah was look at the propeller, which was uh, the problem. Yes, which... which it was stuffed. And, and, and yeah, again, to use a technical Australian term. Um, and, and yes, um, the propeller is pretty much down at the bottom of the ship, so a slipway would, in fact, have been of, of much more use uh, than a dry dock. So uh, isn't it amazing? We, 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 we learn something new about ships and sailing every day. Mind you, that's, that's not terribly hard, because before this project, the amount we knew about ships and sailing was approximately zero, but um, but uh, thank, thanks to Bayard for that. Now, before we would be bringing the second half of Bayard's interview, um, that, now last week uh, you, you you were saying that um, uh, Captain Waddell seems to be going through a bit of a depressive episode, and his uh, relationship with Executive Officer Whittle have broken down. Do you have any any more any more ah, on, well, on that score? Yes, well, well, Whittle in his journal is just a very, very unhappy man. In fact, I'm going to have to read out uh, a part here that just really expresses his his unhappiness. Um, of all the men I ever saw, Waddell has the most provoking way of meddling. I do not know half the time what is being done in the ship as he gives orders which should either emanate from me or pass through me. This way of doing business does not suit me and it must be stopped. I will not allow myself to be treated as though I, I, as though I was a boy. I am no boy and claim that I am quite as qualified to perform my duty as he is to perform his. Nothing but my remembrance of his sweet little wife's last request has prevented my having an open rupture with him. Oh, now that's pretty, that's pretty damning words about your commanding officer. Furthermore, he goes on to say he is impulsive, weak and vacillating, always going by extremes. Oh dear, impulsive, weak 
and vacillating. That, 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 that's not a collection of multisyllabic words that you really want to be saying about, about your commander. No, that was on the 24th of February, and things didn't really improve on the 25th because he says the captain all day has had the appearance of a man who has lost all his friends and was all day as dignified as weak men become when dignity ceases to be a good quality. Oh, oh dear. Oh dear. Yes, I yes. pity him with all my heart, but I will never feel the same kindly friendship for him, which he knows that I have felt. Oh, dear. And then uh, the next day he continues to say that there's a dark cloud which overhangs us and she is not the happy ship she ought to be. Our captain is still in the dumps. His conversation, unless absolutely on duty, is only with his clerk. Why, what is the matter with him? So it does seem, doesn't it, that the, uh, the captain seems to be suffering from, uh, from some sort of depressive episode. Um, yeah, look, I, 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 I don't think that being captain of a ship in wartime is, is any sort of easy gig. That, that, that does, that does have to be said. Oh, the, the other, the other point, of course, is that, um, yeah, we're only hearing Whittle's side of the story. Very true. Uh, but, I mean, he does then go on. <laughs> this is on the 27th of February. This is how bad it gets. <laughs> he says, how anxious I am to catch a Yankee. And I think that's, he thinks, you know, if, if something happens, maybe that will change things. Waddell is still in the dumps. He is the weakest man I ever saw in my life. I begin to think he is under the foolish impression that in order to retain the respect of the officers, he must cease to have anything to say to them except absolutely on duty. He has gone so far with me that now all his orders even are written. This is childish foolishness that a boy of ten would be ashamed of. Oh, boy. Um... Okay, yeah. Now, the, the, the only thing is here is, is I'm kind of sensing a bit of, you know, there might be... Waddell might be getting a bit of passive-aggressive uh, stuff back from uh, from Whittle, you know. Um, uh, maybe he does, does protest a little bit too much. But, yeah, it, it does sound like a, a rather unfortunate circumstance. But, of course, the, the issue is that, that when the executive officer fights with the captain, uh, the captain always wins. So, so, so what precisely is he going to do? Yes, uh, it just seems that uh, maybe Whittle hopes that if a ship comes along that they can have some action and that might change the uh, the captain's mood. But it's it's a very, very unhappy state of affairs. So one does have to wonder what on earth went on in Melbourne to bring about this, uh, this change. Well, I, I guess the, the, other, the other point I think probably to make is that... that um, Waddell probably found Melbourne extraordinarily stressful because he was at pretty much any any moment at risk of it, of losing his ship. Particularly and, at the point and, and where that must... was sitting up on a slipway. Yeah, and, and again, Waddell was was not was not one of the people who were who was off enjoying all of the social events or going up to Ballarat or or you know having fun or going to the asylum um, with the hanging doctor. Um, I think he would have been pretty much, um, yeah, wor- working full time uh, on board the ship. But then again, um, I don't think he even uh, got so to cover a koala, did he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
well, well, that would have been a shame. But you have to say, so far, um, they have got more men in Melbourne. They've taken another number of prizes along the way. But basically, so far, the Shenandoah have pretty much not accomplished its main mission, which is the destruction of the the Yankee whaling fleet. So, really, <clears throat> again, you, you could say that um, Waddell, um, you know, Waddell's a modest man, and at the moment he has a lot to be modest about. Yes, and uh, on March the 1st, uh, Whittle does say that um, we're jogging along in what is said to be the track of Yankee whalers and have not seen a single sail. I, th- I think it looks very much as though we're out of the regular track. So they might even be at this point concerned that they're not going to find the whalers at all. Because, you know, it's a big sea out there. Uh, and especially when you're in the Pacific bit of it, yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm sure that, the, I'm sure that, that the breakdown of that relationship is, is, is pretty much simmering, simmering along nicely now. So, um, I just I think, think I might... just think, Rob, that it's very lucky the Shenandoah didn't have a supply of strawberry ice cream. And, <laughs> and uh, I just wonder if Captain Waddell was playing with his balls at this point. <laughs> I'm bringing in a Kane Mutiny reference there, if uh, if you're not sure what I'm talking about. Yes, yes. For those who haven't uh, uh, listened to the earlier episode <laughs> where we talked about the Kane Mutiny, uh, yes. Um, now, uh, a fascinating situation uh, on board the ship, and I think... Um, this is as good a moment as any to to segue into bringing in the second part of our interview with uh, with, with Bayard Shepherd. So, uh, when did the Sea King first come to attention of the Confederate agents? In it would have been in the end of '63 when she was seen. Because they had, uh, besides Bullock, he had several other people. So, I mean, one of his one of his offsiders was a guy called Carter, and he actually saw the Sea King in Glasgow on her sea trials, and he saw. Oh, her, this is before it went to New Zealand, etc. Right. Yeah, he oh, he okay. spotted it, and he said, "I have seen a vessel," and he told Bullock, and Bullock actually wrote to Stephen Mallory, the Secretary of Navy, and said, "Mr. Carter reports that he has seen a vessel that would be very suitable for our needs." So they knew what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And seeking, they saw it and they said that would be perfect. Now, how do we get it? <laughs> yeah. So by that stage, it's gone. It's gone down to London. It's gone off. But then the, they know where the ships are. Everybody knew where ships were. There was they were all it was published. Always reported. It was always it? reported in the paper. So you know, the ship is sailing to Auckland to deliver troops. It is then going on to China. It's expected to return to London on such and such a date. And while it's on its way back, they've done the deal. They've got a proxy to go and buy it on their behalf. So, yes, that's why they spotted it. They looked at it and said, that would be a perfect vessel, that would be what we need. Something that is easily convertible, that's beautifully built, that would do what we want. So, the ship was then, uh, as we've recounted in earlier episodes of our podcast, uh, it sailed out of London, yep. didn't it? And then the Laurel sailed, sailed out of Liverpool. All of its uh, various yes. bits and pieces and, and the officers. And the officers and all the armaments, etc. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you can't sell the other one out of London with all that because the British would have stopped it. And did the uh, transaction on the, well, not on the high seas, it was a Lost Desertus yes. Island, wasn't it? Which yes. is a very. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting name, isn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah. I've argued that 
you know, they might have thought that what they were doing was legal, but it, they must have admitted of, of some doubts. It's like doing a transaction down, down a dark alley. You know, it's, uh... it's something along those lines. But the, the answer is that there is no law when you are actually outside the waters of, an, of, of any particular nation. So as long as you're in international waters and the, the ship was signed over, she was signed over to the Confederate government, so the, the captain who bought her out said, right, I'm signing over this vessel. Here you are. That's your bill of sale. It's all legal above board. You can do what you want with it now. And, oh, look at that. There's Laurel. <laughs> she just pulled in alongside. And she's carrying guns. How interesting. <laughs> so the, the big question, though, that or the, the argument that was made is that the Shenandoah had never been to a southern port. That was that was one of the uh, arguments made about it, wasn't it? It would be very hard for her to have got to a southern port yeah, at the time yeah. due to the blockade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is a it's, a... it's one of those things that lawyers come up with. We've got to come up with some excuse to try and prosecute you. So, OK, fine. That's got to be a pirate ship because it never actually sailed into, into a Confederate port to be, to be recognised. But you don't have to do that. Okay. There are plenty of vessels registered all over the world that have never been to that port at all. Yes. Yeah, 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 because you go for wherever the cheapest registration is. You, you look, you look at all the ships like docked up in Melbourne at the moment and see where they're registered. Yeah, Liberia, I'm yeah, sure Liberia, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah yes, you know, yeah. they are all over the place. And you look at them, and you go, no, that is not <laughs> where that, you know. So the Shenandoah made a epic voyage yes. around the world, yes, and only put in at two two places. Yes, one was Melbourne, as we've yep. been talking about, and uh, in a few weeks we're going to talk about how they put in at Ponape. Yes, in. Uh, Micronesia. Micronesia. Yep. On their way up to the uh, the Arctic. Mm. Uh, would a ship normally do such a a journey with? It's gone the entire. It's circumnavigated the entire globe. No, I only stopped twice like that. I think she she did a lot more than people would have expected of her because in those days you would have probably traded from port to port. Yeah. Right. Um, so if you were doing say the London to to Australia run, you would probably sail London. Stop at the Cape of Good Hope to pick up extra supplies. Come Which, across. Of course, they couldn't do. They, they couldn't do. There was a. They, they, there was quite a possibility there was a US warship sitting in the harbour there. <laughs> you know that, that's the thing. Um, they actually risked that there was one in Melbourne. They didn't know for a fact there wouldn't be one. There were certainly plenty of US merchant vessels here at the time, but they they didn't know there wouldn't be a US warship. But working on the Neutrality Act, there was no way a US warship was going to do anything inside of the Port Phillip Bay. On the other hand, if they'd come into the bay and there was a US warship there, there's a very good chance they'd never be able to leave. Exactly. Well, it would have been interesting, yes. So on that, uh, of course, you have the famous battle of the uh, Alabama, Mm. which the Alabama lost. Yeah. Um, What would have happened if the Shenandoah had gone up against a a warship? She she wouldn't have survived. Yeah. No, there's no way. I mean, you're talking six, carrying six guns. That's it. Unless you got a lucky shot off that hit hit, hit with a warship below the waterline, and or hit the magazine or something, you would probably not. It'd be a very one-sided fight. It'd be like putting a midget up against Cassius Clay. Now we we have read in some sources that the Shenandoah really couldn't even fire its guns effectively. No, because she, of its she couldn't. Design. In fact, yes. Uh, well, yes, she wasn't. Though she had a, had enough of a deck to mount guns on, and they were able to eventually cut gun ports out of the side of the ship. <laughs> uh, that took them a little while. Uh, and they're certainly known that they pulled up a couple of the earlier ones. They actually pulled them up for firing a blank. <laughs> they didn't actually have the shell, <laughs> shell to do the damage. But, you know, you make the best of it. But if you come up alongside someone, you suddenly have a gun and you fire it across your bow. Most captains are going to go, hang on a second, I'm not going to try and outrun this because the next one's going to hit me in the hole and I'm going down anyway. Yeah. So at least I'll pull up and find out what the hell's going on. 
So uh, in one of the other presentations at the conference, it was mentioned that I think the nearest a US warship ever got to the Shenandoah on its entire round, round the world voyage was about a thousand. Yeah, about a thousand. Yeah, about a thousand. Yes, one of the one of the ships that went out of San Francisco. Yeah, missed yeah. her by about a thousand miles. As she she was coming south, having found out the war was over, and there was a U.S. warship came out of San Francisco, and yes, they got within a thousand miles of each other. But you're not going to see them at that distance. No, <laughs> no one, one of the, this is one of the reasons historians love naval history because if every warship keeps a log of exactly what it's doing at various times, whereas um, armies on land. Yes, well, that's right. They basically didn't do this. And and, and also, you know, from the 18th century onward, every day the captain would use the very, very, you know, latest in in technology, the the, the sextant. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, ships' logs are kept for a reason. They're kept Mm. for a reason to tell you what's occurring on board ship, where your positioning is, what the condition of the ship is, what the condition of the crew is, what punishments are being handed out. That is the law. Because when you return to a port... The logbook is your history. It is, mm-hmm. says, this is what we've done, this is where we've been, and this is what we've encountered. Armies don't keep those sort of records. Mm-hmm. You might get individual regimental records, but you've got a logbook. And on top of that with a Shenandoah, you've got a large number of the officers kept personal journals. Mm-hmm. And there's an awful lot of information in those. Including about the punishments meted out. Yes. We've yes. Found in uh, Mr. Whittle's journal. Yes. We really should stop making fun of Mr. Whittle. I think. I think. It, it's been, it's I been, feel sorry for Mr. Whittle. Yeah, actually, he I, had a very difficult job. He did. Yes. Yeah. Well, executive officers usually do. Yes. Yeah. But you know, it, it's a bit like um, the, the thing about Whittle and Waddell is is it's, it's kind of like in, you know in Faulty Tower, Basil Faulty really shouldn't be a hotel keeper. Well, Whittle and Waddell really shouldn't be re- reporting to each other. They, 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 are, they are not suited to get on. No, well, that's, that's that's right. I mean, there's an age difference, there's a background difference. Yeah. Whittle certainly had a much greater service history than, than with, Waddell. With, with action. Yeah, exactly. Well. That's right, yeah. Which would have been a problem in, in, in and of itself. Yeah, and yeah. Waddell was an, odd, was an odd character. I mean, if you read uh, Angus Curry's book, you can tell, I mean, he broke certain rules. The, f- the first time he actually called a meeting of the officers and discussed things with them. Captains do not do that. No. He, he ever, he ever scratching their well, heads. Well, I, th- I think he missed, missed somewhere in, his, in, the, in the log, in the, the sort of the, the manual of how to be a captain, the word God. <laughs> Captains are gods, particularly on warships. So he, he broke the rules and said, well, I'm not, I'm just one of you guys. I want to talk to you about it. They were going, hang on a second. What the hell is going on here? This just makes no sense at all. He, uh, yeah, we, we've come across a couple of other very curious episodes. One is where he uh, he chewed out Lieutenant Chew, didn't he? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. And, and then... Yeah, yeah, so, so he, he, he chewed being one of the inexperienced officers and the one who was a former chemist, so he did not have any great sea experience. And Waddell told him he did not respect his commission or his person, which is really about as, as nasty as you can. It is, yeah. yeah. But it also undermines that officer's ability Absolutely. to do his job. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, Whittle remonstrated that uh, you can't you can't not recognise a commission that was given by the President of the Confederate States. Exactly, that's and right. ratified by the Senate. So that, that led yeah. to some very bad... Well, it, it was a commission that was given by that, not by a captain. I mean, a captain can promote on board, and that's a totally different thing to being actually a commissioned officer when you come on board. Yes. You know? But then the next day, Waddell backs down and yes. Whittle to, to never talk of it again and basically says he's sorry. So, yeah, uh, he, he, well, that's, he, that's the other thing. I mean, God shouldn't say sorry. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> so, yeah, you know, he, he, was, he was an odd man. I, I think, you know, he was, he was probably, unfortunately, because of the times, there were an awful lot of US naval officers 
at the period who had seen very little sea service. Yes. And they signed en masse to the Confederacy, and the Confederacy didn't have the ships for them to serve on anyway. So they were, they were few and far between those who actually were able to see action. And it's clear, isn't it, that he was champing at the bit while he was stuck on shore in, yeah. in England, oh, yeah. wanting his big Well, chance. they all were. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. then, uh, then finally got it. So let's just telescope events forward a bit to the end of the journey. Because mm. we've, we've talked about the Sea King before the legend. Yep. Let's just talk a little bit briefly about the Sea King or the Shenandoah after the legend. So after it got back on its journey, it was again sold, wasn't it? And it, it, and it had another unusual owner, shall we say. Yes. Well, basically, first, first off, it was handed back to the US government. They decided they'd take it back. And sail, sail out. They sailed out and they got caught in a really bad storm. So they brought her back into Liverpool and said, no, nah, hang on, this is ridiculous. We, <laughs> why, we, are we we, why are we doing this? We can't, we can't do this. So they said, right, fine, stuff it, we'll sell her. So they put her up for auction, they sold it, and she was bought by an agent on behalf of the Sultan of Zanzibar. Uh-huh. And the Sultan of Zanzibar thought, well, this would make an excellent private yacht. Well, it's got four but, flush toilets. It's got four flush toilets. It was a beautifully built ship, so it would have, it would have accommodated nicely. Um, and while we're at it, we've also got armament, so I've got my own built-in cruiser. <laughs> uh, so he had a, he took her out to Zanzibar, and unfortunately on one of her voyages, she was wrecked in a storm and went down. Uh, now, I believe that was in 1874. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, you know, she, she, was, she was here for a, for, a, for a good time, not a long time. No, know? that's right, yeah. So she didn't have a, have a long life as a ship, which is a shame. Mm. Uh, and nobody's really exactly sure where she is. They know that she went down in the storm... But near Zanzibar, near Zanzibar, but it's never, it's never, it, nobody knows the exact spot. I mean, you, you can go and dive on the Alabama because they know exactly where she went down. Mm-hmm. But oh, no, wow. oh yeah, oh. plenty of people have dived, dived on the Alabama over the years. Oh, well, of course you could, because yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah it's right outside so Sherbrooke. Pleasure, pleasure <laughs> That's, so yeah, like, and how many thousands of people standing along the cliffs? The yeah, whole, uh, whole north of, north of France was completely covered in people. It was the thing. Sunday, everybody came out on the Sunday to watch the battle. You know. which, which ended up being a little bit... I suppose one ship gets sunk, it's just not a damn squib of a battle. But no, it was, it's... Well, the, the Alabama... On, that's what everyone Alabama, was coming to watch. Yes, oh. Alabama put up a good fight, surprising for what she was. Well, yes, I, and I have to say, and of course, there is, there is a story that, that the shell landed on the rudder of the Kia Sarge, but because their, their powder was wet, it did not go off. So that's, that had happened. It's both not, it's, both it's, ships might it's, have sunk. It's not a story. It's true. It yes. actually did oh. happen. Oh. Yeah, the shell embedded itself in the stern post. Now, both ships had sunk, so it was like a, a little mini version of the Battle of Trafalgar or... or, or would have made it more interesting. Big casualties yes. on both sides. Yeah. And then that, but mind you, that would have been very embarrassing for the... For the yeah. So the, the, the Sea King stroke Shenandoah... Oh, oh now, did, did the Sultan of Zanzibar still call it the Shenandoah? Or no. Did he change the name? No, he changed it to something like, I think it was El Majib. Yes, yes, I remember reading that somewhere. Yeah. Yes, I should try and find out what El Majib means because uh, that would be. That would yes, be well, unfortunately, I don't speak Arabic. <laughs> well, well, Michael, well, I've, I've just lived in Arabia for ten years. Yeah, so, so you I, should know I exactly should know. what. It, yeah, it might mean majestic or something. <laughs> uh, I, I went into. Uh, Says it was sea I'm king. Gonna, I'm going to find out. Right? Google it. I, I, went to, I went into a shop with Michael the other day. Uh, it was a two dollar shop down the road here, and um, uh, he said. In, uh, thank you in perfect Arabic to the woman behind the counter as we left. But the thing is, you know, she was Australian, not, not <laughs> Arab. So she looked at him in. I think she realised that he was in some way saying thank you. So, right. You know, she, but but she, there was a bit of a look of consternation on her face. Yeah. As we said, but it's, it's sad and fantastic, Michael. Oh, there you go. I'd have after all that time in the Middle East, you'd at least pick up some of the language. <laughs> well, um, look, this has been been absolutely fascinating. And, and look, now, now, we are. In a few months' time, going to have 
our version of either the, the long summer nights, sorry, the, the long summer days or the, or the short winter nights or whatever, long winter nights, in that we're going to be tracking the Shenandoah back to, you know, five months of sailing through the sea back to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, we, you know, we could... Um, We'll be asking all of our all of our guests to return during 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 that period, and uh, I might even you know continue to grow my interesting facial hair until <laughs> until until the voyage is done, but which which might keep me permanently unemployed until that time. But um, we'd love to have you on the show again, and, and I'm be sure happy we could, to return. We could just because um, there are just so many fascinating details, and I'm sure we can work out a few things um, we we didn't ask. And um, maybe by the by the time we, we have you on again, I'll have finished my model of the Cutty Sark, which I'm again holding up to the microphone, and um, we can talk about you know what it would be like operating the Moonraker. Or, or the Moonraker <laughs> well, we can we can certainly do something along those lines. We can even do a walkthrough on the on the vessel. We've done that. Yes. We've done along those lines. Yes. Well. well um, that, that I'd love to do that. Yes. I, I, I'd like to again visit the four flush toilets because they're a, a point of great fascination. And uh, well, we did that on the Pollywood side the other day because when uh-huh. we took the guys down there, we sort of said, "Well, let's think about how the Pollywood side compares to the Shenandoah." Well, there's ten feet difference. That's it. Mm-hmm. So oh. it gives you a good idea. So anybody who's been on the Pollywood side, you can get an idea of how that ship. The length of the ship. The only real difference is she's not quite as wide as the Shenandoah across her beam, okay. and she doesn't have quite the depth of hold. But other than that, she's very similar in the length and the general layout. Oh, oh. and and for people who are listening uh, elsewhere, the Polly Woodside is a uh, iron. It's a full iron iron construction. It's a bark bark that was used basically as the coal for the coal trade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's currently it's a preserved ship, and it's now down in what's called South Wharf. South Wharf, yes, in Melbourne, and, uh, and it's been restored by volunteers, and it's now property of the National Trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, look, I, I, I have been to the Pollywood side, but I, I think I might even have been at school. So, it was, yeah, it I was think me too. Well, it's been <laughs> many. It's been many years since I was down there, and I just when we walked on board, I looked at this and I thought. Yeah, well, this is the length. And I said to the tour guide, I said, how long is she? And he, he told me exactly. I said, that's exactly 10 feet different than the Shenandoah. And he sort of looked at me stranger and went, what's the Shenandoah? And I said, well, that's what we're here for. Yeah. And he, we, so we told him the story of the Shenandoah. She, he was interested and he told us the story of the Pollywood side. And then he left us to it. So I gave the guys who were with me, which was Sam and Justin and Barry, we gave them a walking tour. And we said, well, if you imagine that you're standing here, this is what you would have seen on the Shenandoah. Oh, wow. And that was a good way to visualise it. Yeah. Because the the... the the deck layout is not that dissimilar. Mm. So you, you, could, you could make little, little scale um, maps and hold them up at the correct perspective. Yeah, so you say, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I, 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 I can see this being converted to YouTube. And uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so is there any uh, examples of these composite ships left? Yes, one. There's one. Yep, mm-hmm. and it's in Australia. Really, city of Adelaide, ah. which was towed back here from Scotland. Uh-huh. I'm going to ask, is it in Adelaide now? It is in Adelaide now. That was then, a good guess. <laughs> well done. Yes, you got it right. Yes. Um, oh, was that was that one that was basically just towed back as a hull? It was. She was put on onto a barge, and the barge yeah, was towed yeah. back. Yeah. Um, she's sitting there, that like needs a lot. Full restoration, she needs full though. restoration, and unfortunately, like a lot of these things, it's all money, and right. governments won't put money into these things. You have to do it volunteer. Polly Woodside was all volunteers. Mm-hmm. James Craig in Sydney was Maritime Museum. They raised the funds through all sorts of fundraising activities. There was some government money put into it, but very little. So again, you have this thing. People don't people don't want to do it. 
I mean, the same the same story with the Cutty Sark. I mean, the Cutty Sark bought burnt to the waterline in London. Yes. Was the Cutty Sark a was that a composite? Yes. 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 Same same system. So, timber planking over a steel frame. Iron frame. And that's had to be fully restored again. They have to have had to restore it completely again, and they're still in the process of doing that right. now. But that, I, I believe, actually, look, it's, it's, I think the restoration, it's a restoration in the sense that, that um, a lot of Japanese temples, for instance, they're 500 years old, and they, they, they burnt down every 50 years. So <laughs> it's, it's a thing that's identical. Again, it's like the victory. The only remaining original piece of the victory is the bit where... Where, where, where Nelson where, where, died. Where Nelson died. Yes, yes. exactly, yes. All but, the other wood's been replaced. But yeah. I don't really care if you get a timber for timber replacement, I think, it, as long as it gives you the idea of, of what the thing would have been like. Well, that's I right. Think, um, certainly, um, uh, like, later on in the year, I think we, we could we could uh, develop our, our, our video podcasting skills and, <laughs> and do a walkthrough on the Hollywood side, oh, pretending awesome. it's a Shenandoah. I think we, we, will, we will have to... Keep to your facial the hair there. going then, right? Yep. Look, uh, okay, I think I might have to... Well, it depends if I get any job interviews that require the removal of facial hair, but I will endeavour to keep the, the facial hair going until we do the, the video, a very good video podcast. And uh, by and you are definitely booked up for that, and we'll probably try and get I will look forward to it, gentlemen. It would be fun. Probably get some other people from the, the, the round table along as well. I'm sure they'll be in it. Ah, well, look, I, I, think, I think really um, we're, 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 we're done for, for today, unless you have any, any, nope. any final questions. This has been exhaustive, and I'm sure... Five minutes later, we'll think, oh, we should have asked this, but we can we can leave that till next time. So, um, again, this has been um, Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Rob, Mob, and this week, Bayard, who we thank again very much. And that's your lot for this week. Tally-ho. Ahoy. Ahoy. <laughs>